Okay, um, I want to talk to you something tonight that uh, some of you will find uh, interesting. You can even put the slide up now, Robert, and then people will see what we're talking about. I, I was intrigued to, to see in the news this morning um, that the trailer for the movie which, which uh, launches on Valentine's Day in cinemas called Fifty Shades of Grey uh, has already been viewed by over 100 million people or it might be you know one person who's watched it 99 million times, I don't know. Uh, who knows? Um, but it's already been viewed over 100 million times. Now, for those in touch with popular culture and those not in touch with popular culture, Fifty Shades of Grey is a novel by an author by the name of E.L. James that traces the deepening relationship between a college graduate and a young business magnate called Christian Grey. It's notable for its explicitly erotic scenes featuring elements of sexual practices involving bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. Now, this book is not to be confused with what is, in my view, a much better book called Fifty Sheds of Grey, which is all about garden sheds. And he's actually a very, very funny book, but not to be confused with that. Now, when I read that this morning, I found myself trying to ascertain what was the great attraction that would draw so many people just to watch a trailer. Now, of course, Grey, in the title, Fifty Shades of Grey, is a play on words with, with the main character, of course, being called Christian Grey, um, and also grey being that huge space that exists between black and white. The place where, if we're honest, most of us live. Uh, and maybe we're supposed to. I, I think this concept that, that life's supposed to be black and white and that God is black and white and that things are black and white, I think that actually is, is, is more of a fantasy than a reality. And um, my personal view is that living life in this, this place between black and white uh, is where we're probably supposed to live, you see, because when you live there, that's where we figure things out in relation to ourselves. It's a place where things like faith, trust, acceptance, and forgiveness find their expression, okay? So, so there is an essentiality that, that within there, we live in that realm of grey because that's where the Christian experience, the, 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 the loving of God and the living with God is, is best proved, okay? So the longer I live, I, I more and more believe less and less in a black and white message, okay? Now, there are some parts of it that are clearly black and some parts of it that are clearly white. But, but actually, don't be afraid of living in that middle bit that's the grey area. So, having seen this, I then started to get uneasy as I realised that pain, punishment, discipline, dominance, submission, 
all in the name of love are all things with which I am all too familiar as elements of what some would call the gospel. We sing songs with words like, Then on the cross, where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Now, that can seem clear enough without a second glance if you're in. <laughs> if you're not in, the whole business of punishment and wrath being satisfied by inflicting pain on another so that the one inflicting the pain can feel better in themselves is a bit of a weird concept that doesn't depart too much if you see it through that lens from what's happening in the book called Fifty Shades of Grey. It's also another interesting verse in, and there's lots of scriptures we could talk about that, and bear in mind, I'm not saying this because I'm being contrary, I'm saying this because I want you to open your understanding that some things we, we ride over slipshod and we don't actually realize what the implications are of what we are saying about God, about Jesus, about the church, about the message of the gospel. Just as an aside before I tell you this scripture, I found it interesting to read that when Rob Bell, who I greatly appreciate, I think Rob has a massive contribution to make to the church and has made a massive contribution when he wrote Love Wins, he wrote a book called Love Wins, which really is based on a full acceptance of the fact that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. And that through that, the love of God flows in an unbelievable way that we're asked to believe. Because it doesn't work like human love or kindness. In that book, uh, because of those concepts, Rob had to question our understanding that we teach in church of some things like hell. What do we mean by hell? What do we mean hell is? Who do we believe hell is for? How long does hell last if hell exists and hell long lasts at all? All valid and amazing questions that have got to be answered if we are not introverted and only interested in polishing the things that we've always believed without asking questions about them. Uh, when Rob released that book, almost 3,000 people left his church. I want that to sink in a minute. Uh, because sometimes you can feel when you do this stuff on a smaller level, certain things. But imagine 3,000 people stopped attending. Can you, can you believe that the whole concept of love wins can be so offensive to the very people who say that they love God, who is love, and that his love wins? But when you start spelling out what that means, some people don't like it. It's because actually we, many of us, and I would include myself for many years of one of them, have actually been locked into the same mentality that is exposed in this book called Fifty Shades of Grey. And in some ways it's an explicit relationship with something that is, 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 is not necessary. So, Scriptures like Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord 
to Bruce him, Jesus. Now, I can talk about these scriptures. I'm not against these scriptures, and there is a context to these scriptures, but I'm wanting you to understand that read through a certain lens, they say some things that we really don't want to face that they say if you read them through a certain lens. It pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. That means it actually gave God pleasure to do what he did to Jesus on the cross, which if we put some of our models of what we think God was doing to Jesus on the cross, then God is no different to what happens in the book Fifty Shades of Grey. I can get into a lot of trouble for saying this stuff, but I'm already in a lot of trouble, so, you know, how can you allot a lot? I mean, you know. So, there is the feeling... There is, and, and, and this is how I was raised in all of that. Now, again, I want to say that, 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 that I believe in the work of Jesus on the cross. I can talk about the work of Jesus on the cross, but I'm just wanting you to understand that if our perspectives on these things are not looked at and corrected and examined, we actually present a God who's a bit weird. It's making you real quiet, this. Thank you for your encouragement. <laughs> So, you know, the wrath of God was satisfied. It gave God pleasure to, to, to punish his son. Then, then there's the feeling good about feeling bad thing that I reveled in. And the equally defining feeling bad about feeling good. You see, some of you have not been there, but the way I was raised with the gospel as I understood it, I had to feel good about feeling bad, and, and I used to get off on feeling, feeling good about feeling bad. So that manifests in all kinds of spiritual words like deep repentance. I have a time of deep repentance. Now, deep repentance may be necessary. I'm not sure how I would define that. Now, because I don't think repentance produces forgiveness, I think forgiveness produces repentance. And therefore, repentance looks very different when it's in response to forgiveness than it does when you think you've got to beg for forgiveness. So I really, it was kind of, it put me on a high and kind of made me feel superior and really good and goosebumpy if I could really get into the mode of, of feeling good about feeling bad, what a worthless sinner I am, how awful I am, what a failure, I'm such a worm, I can never be good enough for you, God. Oh, our nation is so desperately, oh, it's so evil, it's so wicked. What I want you to understand, we get off on that stuff. And then we go away feeling good about our feeling bad. Oh, it was a tremendous time of repenting and Maybe it was, but what bothers me is not whether it was a tremendous time of repenting. It's the fact that we all go away with an afterglow about how amazingly good we felt about feeling bad. And then, of course, I told you the other one, which was then um, you weren't allowed to feel good about feeling good. You then had to feel bad about feeling good. 
Because if you were to feel really good, you would elevated and exalted yourself to a place that you should not be in and you should understand that you still now are under the judgment of God and at any moment you could be snuffed out. So, so, so you had to feel bad about feeling good. So, so I grew up kind of with this, I would call it almost a pseudo-sexual thing going on that I didn't realize at the time that it felt so good to feel bad and it felt so bad to feel good. And the more you could experience those feelings, the more spiritual you were. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? We could easily call one the pleasure of pain and the other the pain of pleasure. And sadly, within, within the Christian presentation of the good news about Jesus, somehow we've allowed to slip in there this doctrine of the pleasure of pain and the pain of pleasure. And we get this distorted perspective of God, what we're supposed to do, who we're supposed to be. And a lot of it is driven by our feelings of how high we get on this stuff. Self-gratification. Okay. Now, some of the things that I'm saying to you tonight are unavoidably controversial um, and very debatable, but there is a way the Christian message can be presented which differs little from the troublesome elements explored in Fifty Shades of Grey. One can be left in the murky grey world of confusing and mixed up emotions driven by the need for acceptance, identity, and fulfillment sought after through pain, pleasure, experiences. So what's at the root of this is not a perversity. What's at the root of this is actually a very real issue that all of us are driven by, and I don't care two hoots, where you stand in your faith, whether you're still weighing up, whether you think there is a God or something, or a something called God, or a something called something, or whether you've been in this for 50 years. The truth is, for all of us, what drives us is the need for acceptance, identity, and fulfillment. So what's at the core of this book, Fifty Shades of Grey? The need for identity, for acceptance, and for fulfillment. What actually drives how we evaluate, demonstrate, and explain some of the aspects of the gospel? The need for acceptance, identity, and fulfillment sought after through pain, pleasure, experiences. Now, you know what I'm saying is true if you've been around in the church for any length of time. Pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pile on the judgment stuff and then bring in the forgiveness stuff. What is that? Pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure. And uh, whether you've been it for 10 minutes or 10 years or 100 years, it still works the same. Why? Because we get high on the pain, pleasure thing. It drives us because we've not yet learned to disassociate pain and pleasure from acceptance, identity and fulfillment. So some people get mad at people like me because they don't believe I'm preaching enough condemnation along with the grace and the salvation. Why? Because what's driving it is pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure. Okay? So, 
Many years ago, the psychoanalyst Karen Horney, um, who's a very, very sharp lady, very intelligent, um, Chris, Chris introduced me to Karen Horney, not personally because she's dead, um, but introduced me to, to her thoughts and her writing. She, she was around in the time of uh, Sigmund Freud, and, but she was one who dared to offer different conclusions than Freud offered as the whole area of psychology and psychoanalysis was beginning to become part of mainstream uh, thinking in, in the medical field and, and mental health. And Karen Horney introduced a concept called the tyranny of the should. Okay? The tyranny of the should. The tyranny of the should is the whole thing about how I should be versus how I am. Who I should be versus who I am. What I should have done or not done versus what I've done and not done. My parents should have X, Y, and Z. My partner should have. I should have been treated differently. The tyranny of the shoulds which drive all of us because we, in our seeking for acceptance, identity and fulfilment, are always held back by this tyranny of the shoulds. How we should have been treated, what shouldn't have happened in our lives, what we should have done, who we should be. And so in that process, what she brought out was two aspects, which is the whole issue of what she called the the, the real self, the, the ideal self, and what was the other one? Oh, the real self, yeah, sorry. The, the, the ideal self and the real self, that we all live in the tension of the ideal and the real. When the truth is, we actually only live in the real. But we live in the tension of the ideal and the real. And the tyranny of the shoulds is the thing that grabs us and drags us into that grey area between who I really am, what I have really done, what's really going on in me, what are my real expectations, and what ideally I would like to be, what I ideally would like life to, to be like, what I ideally would. So when we are held there, this issue of acceptance, identity, and fulfillment can never manifest in its proper way, so we look for other means in order to feel those feelings, which is what Fifty Shades of Grey is all about, and what some versions of the Christian gospel is all about. The real versus the ideal. Jesus meets us in the real to break the tyranny of the shoulds and frees us from trying to resolve our issues through methods not unlike Fifty Shades of Grey. Jesus meets us in the real. I love the fact that Jesus has no problem with the real. I like the fact that if you read the Bible correctly, 
God never asks us to do anything to prepare ourselves to be worthy of an encounter with him and to receive what it is that he has to offer. In the book of Exodus, one of the most important scriptures to the Jews comes from when the Jews were being delivered from a bondage, a captivity, a tyranny in Egypt. And they celebrate what are called the four I wills. The problem is we have taken those four I wills and caught up in the grey area trying to find identity and acceptance and fulfilment. We have, because of the need for pain and pleasure, turned those into the four you musts. So most people's conscious or subconscious understanding of God is that God says you must, you must, you must, you must of which our reply becomes, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it becomes a false relationship that we then live in the pain of I can't do the you musts and the pleasure of maybe why God sent Jesus was just so, although I'm never going to be able to do that, I might just get away with it and not get the worst of what I ought to get, when actually that is a misrepresentation of the gospel that came right from the beginning. It's for I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will. The deliverance, the help, the guidance, the fulfillment all came from living in the I wills of God. Jesus meets us in the real to break the tyranny of the shuds and frees us from trying to resolve our issues through methods not unlike Fifty Shades of Grey. It is the demands of the shoulds which dictate the level of our acceptance, identity, and fulfillment. So where do you sit in the the whole issue of acceptance? If I were to ask you right now, if you were to look at yourself right now, This whole issue of acceptance in your life. What what do you feel about your level of acceptance? What about about identity? How many of you are struggling with, with who you think you are and who you think you ought to be and who you really are? And how many can say that because of all that, really, fulfillment is an ideal, but it's not a real thing in the context of your life? It's the demands of the shoulds which dictate the level of our acceptance, identity, and fulfillment. Until you deal with the shoulds, you will never truly find a secure identity, a confident acceptance, and a sense of fulfillment. But our assurance in these three things only comes from the understanding of God the Father's love for you. Fix that, and the other stuff will start to fix itself. You see, the problem is, with Fifty Shades of Grey, these feelings, uh, the participants are attempting to resolve them through exploration of various things which were built around, like I said, that so many things that I could say, the gospel does that, the gospel does that, the gospel does that, the gospel does that. If it's preached in a certain way, not realizing that the assurance that we're looking for, the assurance of acceptance, the assurance of identity, the assurance of fulfillment can only come from understanding God the Father's love for you. 
There is no other way in all of the world than understanding God the Father's love for you. If you fix that, the other stuff will start to fix itself. The solution is not found in what we do for ourselves or in what we do for God, but in what He has done for us. And that really is what the cross is about. The cross is about God being pleased at what He can do for us. And when we understand it through the correct parameters, it doesn't mean that God's getting off on inflicting punishment in the world. It means that God is pleased when by what He has to do, He is able to restore His original intention, which was to be in absolute and total fellowship with you. God's anger is against the non-existence of a right relationship with himself. But once we misrepresent it and shove it into the Christian Fifty Shades of Grey, God's anger is with people. And so the stuff that God does with people is an attempt to fulfill his own desires and drag us along into this dark place where we never find what we are looking for but always kept hanging on. When we understand the wrath of God is against whatever it is that stops you understanding God the Father's love for you, you started to appreciate that we've taken this out of the weird and put it into the wonderful. There is a weird gospel out there, I have to say, a weird gospel, but there is a wonderful gospel. And the wonderful gospel is based on this. There is a miracle in the cross waiting for your warm embrace. Don't be afraid of the cross. Don't don't let the anger, the pain, the punishment, all that stuff. There is a miracle in the cross waiting for your warm embrace. It's the embracing of the love of God for you. And when you embrace that gift that is waiting for you, it comes with the gift tag. And the gift tag says, it is finished. That's the gift tag. It says... It is finished. That was Jesus' last words on the cross. It is finished. Why does it come with the gift tag, it is finished? Because God wants you to look at that and say, okay, in the context of my acceptance, it is finished. In the context of my identity, it is finished. In the context of my fulfillment, it is finished. But while ever we focus on the sins we cannot forget that God can't remember... We will stay in the tyranny of the shuds. This gospel's too good to be true for some of you. In the new covenant, which is God's deal with us, he says, their sins and unrighteous acts I will remember no more. So we spend so much of our time not being able to forget things that God can't remember. And we become under the tyranny of not being able to forget things that God can't remember. When you break the tyranny of the should, you realize that God loves me in the real and that everything God does for me is because I am real and I have become real and in that reality is where I will now find my acceptance, identity and fulfillment. So, I just have one scripture to finish. It's in the book of 1 John in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. I'm not going to spend much time talking about these, 
but they are tremendous words from a man who actually walked with Jesus. He was one of the apostles, John, who was with Jesus at the Last Supper, who Jesus loved. Jesus liked John, and John understood in himself something that I think that is what Jesus was really liking in John. Because here's what John says, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. See, the tyranny of the shoulds makes you always have to live life through you. And you've never been very good at it. But the miracle of this is that through God's Son and what he did at the cross, that we might live life through him. So we actually begin to live our lives through the perfect understanding of the acceptance, identity, and fulfillment that rest in Jesus, God's Son. So you live here on earth as Jesus, God's Son, lived here on earth with an absolute confidence of your acceptance, your identity, and a fulfillment that fills your soul that is able to say, this person, the Father, is one with me and I am one with him. But here's what he says. He says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to talk about the big word for half a minute in half a minute, okay? But first of all, John defines, he says, this is love. This is what you're looking for. Fifty shades of gray. What you're really looking for is love, Person tonight, circuit, what you're really looking for, you may not understand it, you may use terms of religion, whatever. What you're really looking for is love because within the boundaries of love is amazing acceptance, identity, and fulfillment that does not have to be brought to the surface by all kinds of weird stuff or weird preaching or weird condemnations of the pain-pleasure matrix. This is love, not that we love God. God, but that he loved us. Your acceptance of the Father's love is not based on the measurement of how much you think you do or think you can love God. It's simply measured on your willingness to accept how much he loves you. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. God has taken your part out of the equation so that he can guarantee it works. The problem is when you put your part back in the equation, you guarantee it can't work. So the moment you bring in there, oh, if I don't love God, he won't love me, and God will only love me as much as I love him, you've guaranteed it's going to fail. Because you're the broken link in the chain. So John says, let's take the broken link out of the chain so that the chain can't break. This is love not to be measured on whether you love God, if you love God, if you want to love God, or how much you love God, but on the fact that arbitrarily he loves you totally and completely without reservation, in grace and disgrace, in shame and pleasure. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and he just sends a message that says, listen, I didn't come to hurt you. I came to redeem you. I came to love you. So that big word. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I'm going to make some people 
hopping mad and not necessarily in here, but some bright sparks might want to tweet and whatever. Because propitiation is an action meant to regain someone's favor. Okay, that's what it means. It's an action meant to regain someone's favor. So God sent his son to be the action to regain someone's favor for our sins. Now, here's the question. Regain whose favor? You see, when you have the Fifty Shades of Grey gospel, what that means is that God sent Jesus so we could regain God's favor. But when you understand it outside of the Fifty Shades of Grey gospel, you realize God sent Jesus so that we, so that God might regain our favor. See, we don't need to regain his favor because he's never removed his favor. So propitiation can't be about God doing something so that because he's done that, he can favor us again because we're back into Fifty Shades of Grey because I beat up my boy, because I blooded him, because I broke, broke him, because I shattered him, because I killed him. I can now favor you. That's weird. How about in that, he was not looking at punishing, but he was looking at saying, this old Adam thing, this first nature thing, somehow I've got to get rid of that. But the issue is not an action so that we can regain God's favor, but an action so God can regain our favor. God wants to regain your favor. God wants you to say, God, you're not like I thought. You're amazing. And I want to give you back the favor that I had removed from you. So that as I come back to you and, 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 and give favor back to you in my life. God, I favor you in my life. I give you favor. And, and in all honesty, who wouldn't want to give favor to the God that I just described to you. I give you favor in my life. It's as we do that that he says in that propitiation, in that work, that worked for our sins. So what it did was changed how we see God to come into line with how he already sees us. So, this is where it concludes. Embrace grace. Let's pray. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me, once lost, now found, one blind, now see. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. For that to be true, grace has to be qualified in your life as amazing. But it's only when we realize where we sit in life and what we are looking for and then understand the truth about what God has done for us and how much he loves us that we understand this grace actually is completely 
amazing. And then I embrace God back into favor in my life. And then acceptance, identity, fulfillment. All start to flow. In him is life. That life is the light of every man and that life is the life given for you. It's the life offered to you. It's the life God wants you to enter into so that now in his love we live through Christ and what he has done for us. I invite you into this relationship with the Father. It's pure, it's gentle, it's kind, it's loving, it's wholesome. And the wonderful thing is that it's not based on how much you love him, but how much he loves you. Will you embrace tonight how much he loves you? Will you be free from the tyranny of the shoulds and come just as you are? Come real, not ideal. And in that place, you will discover what the Bible calls the love that has no height, no depth, no width, no breadth. It's bigger and greater than anything you've ever imagined that enfolds you in its arms and gives you what it was you were always looking for from that love without a whole lot of nonsense going on beside it that pushes you back into the tyranny of the shoulds, God has come to deliver you from them tonight. Open your heart. As you open your heart, say, God, I extend what grace is in my life as a propitiation. I, I bring you back into favor. Declare my favor towards you because he's already declared his favor towards you. Father, right now in this place, let lives be touched, let hearts be changed, and let the tyranny that has held so many in bondage be broken right now, I pray in Jesus' name. I declare that the cross was a success. I declare that when you say it is finished, it really was finished. I declare that when the curtain in the temple was torn in two to open the way to you, that it has never been stitched up, it still remains open, and that your goodness flows out to humanity tonight. And we receive it, that wonderful thing, called grace and we actually do believe that love wins in Jesus name in Jesus name and we declare that we are going to close the book on the 50 shuds of grey amen we're done all right enjoy your burger